welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and being dried kicking and screaming to watch a <laughs> snuff film, apparently, is John Wilson. <laughs> hey everyone, this is John. So John, you ready to see people die? Um, a specific person die? Yeah, it's it's gonna be kinda strange though. It's 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 a little weird and a little trippy. I'm not entirely sure I get what happened, but hey, we can talk about it. It's Starlin. He was Morrison before Morrison was cool. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have a, I wouldn't say he had a whole lot in common with Grant Morrison, but there are definitely some elements that that they have in common. You are correct, sir. And trippy endings is is one that comes to mind. So we'll see how that plays out today with Warlock 11. And by the way, I would love to see a, a series or like a mini series that's co-written by the two of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be, be insane. But yes, we are on Warlock number 11. As it says in the cover, here it is, the strange death of Adam Warlock. It's almost like it's and- a strange tale. Ooh. <laughs> nice pun there. And we see Warlock here on the cover looking at the dead body of Warlock. Yeah. Wait a minute. How's that happen? Wait, is this 76 or 96? Is this the Clone Saga? Hold on. No, it's 76. Okay. They're not Warlock clones, are there? Please tell me they're not Warlock clones. No, we're not to her yet. Oh, yeah. Is, is, is her well, going to be part of the Technically, she's not a clone. Um, she's going to be sort of. Okay. When I if she's any if there's anything of her that with her quote unquote her that has that has Adam or Thanos in it as well, obviously yes. But otherwise, she's mainly going to be part of that little supplemental thing I do when I get up to that, where because she's part of the world, so I'll cover her issues eventually. Okay. But the same way I'm covering like the death issues right now. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, should we get started? So let's get. Yes. How strange my destiny. Part two. Chapter 4, Escape into the Inner Prison. I actually um, still have Thor open here, so let me go back to Warlock. <laughs> okay. That's so, fine, because I realized I should tell people we're going to put the synopsis in first, because you probably want to know what's going on. Although, you should read this. Go to Marvel Limited, read this. I'll wait a minute. Or you can listen to my synopsis. Warlock number 11, How Strange My Destiny. Story and Layout by Jim Starlin. Finished art, Steve Lealoha. Lettered by Tom Orzhevsky. Editor, Len Wein. Cover art by Jim Starlin and Alan Lee Weiss. Cover dated February 1976. On sale date November 25th, 1975, with a cover price of 25 cents. Part 2, Chapter 4, Escape into the Inner Prison. The Magus teleports onto Thanos' ship, along with his Black Knights. Adam and his companions fight back, but realize that the Magus has enough knights to keep him busy fighting until the Inbetweener shows up to transform him into the Magus. Adam's only hope lies in reaching Thanos' time probe, but he's too busy fighting. Thanos points out that their one chance is for Adam to use his soul gem, and then he could defeat all the Black Knights in one moment. Adam doesn't want to do that, because to do that would mean stealing their souls and absorbing them into the soul gem. However, between Thanos' constant berating, the danger he's putting Gamora and Pip in, and the threat of the in-betweener is too much, 
and Adam succumbs to the will of the soul gem and sucks up all of his enemy's souls. Except, of course, for the Magus, who points out to Adam that perhaps he is not a perverted version of Adam's soul, but its true image. Before the two can come to blows, Thanos intervenes and allows Adam the chance to enter the time probe, along with Pip, of course. They find themselves on what Adam refers to as Kismet. It's a physical embodiment of the metaphysical path of his soul. It's here that Adam has come to commit cosmic suicide. Back in reality, Thanos and the Magus square off. The Magus realizes that Thanos had planned it all, allowing his force field to drop so the Magus can find them, just in time to make Adam rush into the time probe without having a chance to fully think about what he's about to do. When he asks why, Thanos tells him it's because the Magus represents purpose and life, while Thanos worships death. Eventually, the Magus will be a threat to what Thanos loves, and so he must be dealt with. Chapter 5. The Strange Death of Adam Warlock While in the strange metaphysical land of Kismet, Adam and Pip have come face to face with the Inbetweener. The Inbetweener has come to do what he's created to do, take Adam into his dark, soul-numbing realm, where he'll eventually be changed into the Magus. Adam attempts to fight back, first by using a soul gem, but it has no effect on the Inbetweener. He next tries a physical attack, but that is just as useless. While he says he is emotionless, the Inbetweener does attempt to help Warlock understand why this is going to happen. There is a noble purpose. In the universe right now, life needs a champion to stand against a recently arrived advocate of death. The Magus is the chosen champion of life. He hopes this will give Adam something to think about in the final few minutes he has left in this life. Back on Thanos' ship, is being destroyed in the cosmic battle taking place between Thanos and the Magus. Realizing she is way out of her element in this kind of fight, Gamora leaves, hoping there will be something left for her to come back to. While the battle between these two demigods rages on, Adam starts to wonder if he is doing the right thing, but comes to the realization that the Magus is evil, and so must be stopped. He is able to find the physical representation of his life's path. It's an actual path, ending with several other paths branching off, going in different directions, basically showing his life up until that point, and then the different ways it could go depending on his current choices. He finds the darkest of these paths, which is the one where he becomes the Magus, and using his soul gem, cleanses and then destroys it. In reality, the Magus apparently has the upper hand until he starts to fade away. Adam undoing the path that would lead him to become the Magus causes him to disappear before he can finish off Thanos. Now that the Magus has been destroyed, Adam still needs to ensure that he can never turn into that tyrant. In the last few moments he has before the Inbetweener abducts him, he finds which of his life's paths is the shortest and jumps to the end of that one, traveling forward in time to the end of that life. At some point in the not-so-distant future, Adam Warlock comes face-to-face with his future dying self, who reveals it has only been months since the defeat of the Magus. Our Adam can't believe he only has such a short time left, but the future dying Adam argues that it's been an eternity. Everything he has cared for or accomplished has fallen to ruin. Everyone he loves is dead. He welcomes this end. Using his soul gem, Adam absorbs his own future soul, and having that future now set, the Magus can never come to be. Reality is reset as the Magus and his universal church of truth have never even existed. Only those at the center of this change, Thanos, Gamora, Pip, and Adam will remember its existence. Pleased with himself, Thanos feels now there is no one left powerful enough to stop his plan of total stellar genocide. He leaves with Gamora, telling her they have much to do. 
Back in what used to be called Homeworld, Adam and Pip walk the streets. Although even though Adam has destroyed one false god, it appears another has popped up, as they can see a variant of the symbol that the church used all over. But as Pip points out to him, at least it isn't you this time. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. All right, you done reading? Good. So this is part two, chapter four. So issues 10 and 11 of Warlock are kind of a two-part finale. And I think there are, what, six chapters all total? So uh, Five. Five chapters all total. So yeah, this, this one only has two chapters. brings to a close the saga that's been going since Starlin revived Warlock in Strange Tales 178. Yep. And it's... It's trippy. There's there's a lot of a lot of fighting at the beginning, but it's also weighed with angsty dialogue and narration and um are only oppressed with your soul gem. No, not that. I dare not use it again. You must and just this, you know, like, oh my god, it's so rot and overwrought and and yeah. Yeah. My my mood today is oh these pages aren't numbered one two three four the fourth page with the nine panels right in the middle of Thanos like with his head kicked back roaring into the air that that's me that's who I am right now <laughs> yeah. Thanos mad basically. And he he starts out making a good point. The story basically starts out with Thanos. Well, of course, we get a little bit of narration of who everybody is. But Thanos is basically telling Warlock, hey, you have to capture Magus with your soul gem. And Mag- and Warlock's all hung up on that because the... Well, no, not Magus. The, the soldiers. I'm sorry. Yes, the soldiers. They can stop Magus. So he uh, kill him with your soul gem. And Warlock doesn't want to because the souls and the soul gem torment him and he feels like he's a murderer and it's a, it's a spiritual vampire. And Thanos is like, how many people are going to die for your morality? Which I think is a fantastic question. Yeah. And it's definitely one. I mean, it's definitely a question that gets used a lot. The whole Batman Joker thing. Mm hmm. You know, how many people will the joke, you know, it's one way of looking at it. I'm not saying I think Batman should be killing, but it's one way to look at it is how many people are dead because you didn't kill the Joker. 
Right. Yeah. Not saying it's a question with an answer, but it's a fantastic question. You're going to take a moral stance. You're going to take a moral stance on something and other people are going to have to pay the cost for it. So, you know, what are you going to do about that? How does that, how does that work out for you? Oh, I'm speaking of that, by the way, on that nine panel page, when Thanos is saying, look at all the people who die, like Gamora or Pip. Mm-hmm. Did you see what Pip said there? For the sake of the great Copra light. Yes. <laughs> What's a Copra light? I had to look that up. Copra light. In paleontology, a piece of fossilized dung. <laughs> so, correct me if I'm wrong, but Starlin found a way back then to basically have Pip say, Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, I like it. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I've read this several times. Rock puss. Yeah. Now, especially since he's being shot at there, he's like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> I do have to wonder though, because you know, in my own personal reading, my '90s reading, I've been reading Warlock and the Infinity Watch, and the tie-ins of Warlock with Infinity Gauntlet. And he says at the top of that page, the Jules victims don't die. Their souls are yanked from their bodies and come to rest within my mind to torment me for ending their existence. We find out later that existence in the soul gym is pretty chill. So how does that reconcile? Do you have an idea? Um, well, and maybe it's chill for them, but he just, maybe he, I mean, he's wearing the soul gym. He's not in the soul world. Because you're right. We find out later on that inside the soul gem, if your soul's there, it's kind of awesome. Every, although, I don't know, maybe it isn't awesome because, I mean, everyone's personality, I don't know if it's everyone's personality has changed or everyone is just at, so at peace that they're not enemies anymore. But I don't know, maybe it's because he's wearing it that he doesn't know what's fully going on. He just knows they're in there, maybe can get, like, feel bits and pieces of them. Mm-hmm. So, and that's torturing him because he doesn't know what's going on in there. So he just knows I can feel a bit of Autolycus here or Krator or whoever. Maybe they're not actually torturing him at all. Maybe it's just his guilt. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. He's just getting bits and pieces of that feeling that their presence. And it's his guilt because if he doesn't know what's going on, he's feeling guilty. Gotcha. For all he knows, it's torture and horror. But with Thanos roaring in your ear long enough, you will give way and your soul gem also starts whispering, listen to him. Yes, listen. Yes, release me. And So we power. need to bring back Peter Lorre to be the soul gem? <laughs> or like, a, like Renfield. <laughs> well, um, I guess the guys from Star Wars could take care of that. It's, it is Disney, so they can do that. They can bring him back. Sure. So the power of the soul gem does radiate out, and it does eat all the souls of all the people. Yes, most of these are big-eyed people. You notice that? A lot of people have huge eyes or just eyes. It's so better to see with, my dear. I keep thinking, especially that one guy in the second page, the first panel, I keep thinking that's the orb. <laughs> For those who doesn't know, he was an old Ghost Rider villain. Like, we're talking 70s Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. And then he's also a big part of, what was that storyline? Uh, Original Sin. Oh. I didn't realize this was the same guy. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not the, that's not the alien guy, but he looks like him. So then Magus and Warlock are facing off, and Thanos is helping out because Warlock is, I mean, 
for all his vaunted awesomeness, Warlock is kind of crap in this fight. He's just so flabbergasted at what's going on that Thanos has to kind of take over. In the last yeah. issue, we saw the in-betweener was on his way, and Magus, you know, used his devices to sort of, like, follow the radiation trail to where the warlock was going to be, and as I found Thanos' ship. And we saw this realm on his screen, this realm that Pip and yeah. everyone go to. Yeah, Pip the realm was like, I don't know, Kismet or whatever it's called. Yeah, he calls it Kismet, so. Yeah, which is, you know, Yiddish for Ditko land. Yeah. <laughs> Although before we jump back into the kismet, I do love on that page when they're facing off that panel of the Magus's face. Oh, the one in the front and center there. Yeah, where he says, "You've at last revealed to me to be not a perverted version of your soul, but rather a true image." Yeah, because we're like just and, killed all those people. Yeah, and you can see them in the panel above. They're all like just these wide eyes, mouths open, just dead. And then, of course, the end of Thanos is awesome as Magus is basically about to throttle Warlock until, at least until, you know, in, in between her gets there. He's got some fun. <laughs> and Thanos is like, Magus, I reject your truth. It's pretty great. You know, that middle three panels, those middle three panels, I kind of wish that we had close ups on Warlock and Thanos like we do with the mage there, the Magus. That would be a nice little triptych. Oh, okay. So you're saying. But remember, the reason Warlock's so ineffective, it's kind of by plan. I mean, as we see in here, Thanos is doing everything to keep him off balance and uneasy. That's the reason, one of the main reasons he made him kill all those guys was to get the guilt set in. That's the reason, as we see in a few pages, Thanos turned off his, you know, protective shields so the Magus could find them. Yeah, and they say that in the narration earlier, that... All of the difficulties and conflicts that Adam Warlock has had ever since issue 178 has been a carefully crafted plan by the Magus to slowly transform Adam Warlock into the person who would become the Magus. Yeah, but it's also Thanos taking advantage of that and also doing his own manipulating to keep Adam from thinking too much about what he has to do to stop the Magus. So they're both, they're both totally playing with Adam Warlock. No wonder he... And you can cut this if you want. No wonder when he gets the Infinity Gauntlet, he's like, fuck all y'all. I'm God. <laughs> Get away. I'm a good God, but I'm not giving this up. And then he does. Yeah. But not for them, at least. But yeah, no, they both, they're both screwing with him. Do you notice when they go to Kismet and Pip grabs hold of Orlock, his own boots fall off? Yeah, the little boots that Thanos gave him. Yeah. I just now noticed I didn't see that earlier. I did not even notice that until you said that. I was like, oh, yeah. But, yeah, this is all Dick Goland. I mean, look at that pole of eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I see it, and it sees me. Ooh. But, yeah, so they're there in Kismet, and he's found his own personal – what's he say? This is my life's path, my fate, time cycle. This is the everything about me and the nothing that is me. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and it's his own personal trail of life. It's kind of like a cool personification of like life. It's like, okay, here's my path, and since we're here now, I can go in several different ways. Mm-hmm. And you then don't I guess, realize that his yeah. first at his first uh, appearance of the intersection that that's what's going on. That it's yeah. actually his life choices here. Yeah, because um, you can see the six going out that are fine, and then the one that's just darkness. And he says he's here to commit cosmic suicide, and you think 
his plan is to kill himself before he can become the Magus. But he ends up doing something else, which we'll see as we go along here. Yeah, but first we go back to Thanos and the Magus as we see that they're basically Thanos and the Magus are meant to be enemies. Which, as we learn, this is why Thanos is helping Adam Warlock. Not the goodness of his heart, but because the Magus is his enemy. Not Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock, like he said, is easier to defeat. So he's using Adam to stop them, you know, so he doesn't have to fight the Magus. Although now, of course, like Thanos, he's like, ah, screw it, I'll fight you anyway. Yeah, it's interesting that in the in-betweener is going to reinforce this idea in a minute when he says that Thanos being, you know, an agent of death needs the Magus as a champion of life. But it's like, the Magus has not proven himself to be a champion of life. So I'm not entirely sure where that logic is supposed to work. Well, yeah, I can see what you're going to say. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's fine. They're, just, they're just both pretty death-dealing. They are, but Thanos is all about death. I mean, Thanos eventually would just want to kill everybody and everything. The Magus doesn't want to kill everybody and everything. He wants to get rid of all the non-productives and the, and the, you know, the blasphemers and the ones that are no good. And obviously, yes, he'll sacrifice wave after wave of soldiers, but his goal is not to have them die. His goal is to have as many people as possible living, you know, that he deems appropriate, worshiping him. That is a very sick and twisted reasoning. But I see. Well, remember, yeah, I mean, Remember, this is not our version of a moral champion of life. Right. You know, no, where no, we no. would pick Captain America or Superman. This is just a cosmos going, overall, yeah, this still works out. But it's, <laughs> it's very, uh, it, it kind of goes, it kind of goes back to the original idea of this revived series of, you know, the analogy that spawns the Magus and like the metaphor behind it all get rid of, you know, everything's going to be alive. Everything's going to be productive. Everything's going to be worshiping me. We're going to get rid of everything that's not. And that is what's called pro-life. Exactly. At least for the Magus. Yes. And I mean, it's also a thing for metaphor for whole life. Think about it. Major poisoning forces. You've got Thanos and the Magus just screwing up Adam left and right. And basically he's just trying to as quickly as he can just do the best thing he can to do, just to survive. I mean, sometimes that feels like life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. I guess if we were not on Adam Warlock's side, position to oppose the Magus, that we might see things a bit differently. I don't know. He's kind of like the Emperor, but not the same as the Emperor. Like from Star Wars, the Emperor. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know who's like the worst person because. They kind of have a very similar position and similar modes of operation, but I guess the Magus is not actually motivated by quite such a sinister evil. Yeah, Thanos, I mean, like I said, if we're putting it on a scale, Thanos is definitely way worse than the Magus. Mm-hmm. Magus is in no way, shape, or form good. <laughs> but in the scale of not good, Thanos is way more not good than the Magus is. And Nebula's worse than Thanos, which we'll find out in, you know, a few years. True. Ah, well, what, you talking about Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah. No, she's not as bad. She's actually better. Yeah, but, yeah. She fixes. She fixes some things. Yeah. But that's that's another story for another time. So the in-betweener shows up, and he's... I, I really like his design. I think I like it more now than I did when I first saw it. Um... 
and it might just be the style that it's being drawn in, some of the the shading and stuff that's done with it, because just the the black and white and the mirror imaging that's going on, it's a pretty striking image. The name is still the dumbest thing that's ever been said. Yeah. But well, yeah, it's not the greatest of names, but it's been around since him seventy six, so. We gotta deal yeah. with it. Yeah, we gotta deal with it. I'm looking at the chapter five splash page. He says that his sole reason for existence is to abduct Adam Warlock to his dark soul numbing realm and do what Chaos and Order have bid him do. And so I like sole purpose for existence because I remember that last time we recorded you said that like in betweener has other stories after this. He goes on to do other things. Yeah. I wonder – now, I haven't really read most of them. I just know a bit enough about him to know he's a jerk later. I wonder if that's why he becomes a jerk. His sole purpose is pointless now. There's no purpose for him. So he has to find his own purpose, and that's to be a jerk. Yeah. So The Strange Death of Adam Warlock, that's our chapter five, which is our final chapter. Yes, and Adam's facing the in-betweener, but in-betweener's like, I'm not yet. Guys, still, still got a few more minutes, and you know, you want to try and fight me? Go ahead. Specifically and he five does. minutes. Like he says five minutes, and I was like, five minutes? After he tries smashing with a big rock. Right. I love Here's how two tons of reality for you. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking of with this, right? What are you thinking? Batman the Animated Series, Killer Croc. It's the, uh, what's the episode? Almost Got Him. I've only seen most of those once. It's all the a bunch of the villains sitting together talking stories about how they almost got Batman. Oh yeah, which was and they get Crux. the cr- there. I was holed up in this quarry when Batman came nosing around. He was getting closer, closer, and I threw a rock at him. It was a big rock. Like, everyone else, you actually see their story, and Killer Croc just, it's just the five seconds of, I threw a rock. Reminds me of Green Goblin's first appearance. You know, Norman Osborn, who engineered the Clone Saga, who masterminds all these things in Spider-Man's <laughs> life. And the very first time is he does all of this rigmarole to get him into a Hollywood movie and get the Enforcers cast themselves, get them out to the, the on-scene location, pull them out into the desert, and hit him in the head with a rock. That was your plan? <laughs> it was a big rock. Get her. That was your plan. Get her. Get her. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the equivalent. I mean, at this point, Adam's so desperate. He's like, I'm just going to throw stuff at you, and hopefully that'll work. And, yeah, because, you know what? I have to read more in between her stuff, because maybe this, maybe, I wonder if that gets mentioned that he's, lost because he doesn't have a purpose anymore because he couldn't make Adam the Magus. Because he even says there, as I've said, um, I pass a mist, yet, yet I'm never cursed by emotion. And I'm pretty sure he does. Does get emotionally? Because he just... Yeah, he he commits betrayal. and so He betrays or, order and chaos for himself. Oh. So, uh, what do they call that? Self... Oh, when you're motivated by self-interest, is a word for that, but I forget. That's okay. Um, meanwhile, Thanos and Magus are cosmically duking it out. They're like shooting blasts at each other and making shields and fire rings, and they're looking. There's Kirby crackle all over. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, those energy waves flying out from that ship bigger than the ship. Yeah. I really like that design, too. Yeah. I like the layout of that page, too. Oh, yeah, with Warlock has a slim panel at the top. and I'm sorry, Magus has a slim panel at the top, which I guess I'm not technically wrong. And then Thanos has the one at the bottom. And Thanos gets that cool lines. I am Thanos. I am death. I'm looking up the (laughs) in-betweener. So I can see where he shows up next. But yeah. um, Okay, then we get to the Gamora scene and all this, which I find a little bit problematic. And I mentioned this on um, the recording that you and I did with Ryan Daly about Gamora. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Gamora's only part, like she was barely in last issue, and all this is going on around her, and she's like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave, and we'll just um, hope that everything works out okay. I'll, I'll find out who's alive when this is all over. But Which it's still, is very smart. <laughs> it's very smart. It's not terrible, but it's the way she talks. Well, Gamora, it seems you got your buxom young self out of that section of that space arc just in time. I think I'll just haul my pretty green hide out among the stars for safekeep. It's like, who are you? Why are you written by a 70s guy who does not understand? Because she's a character of the 70s. I know it's 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 just, a thing of the time. I mean, for as much of that time, she's still better than some other. I mean, granted, maybe not as you obviously not as you use as much, but still, you know, at least she's not sitting there crying, saying, "What does it all mean?" <laughs> yeah, true enough. I mean, I mean, if the soldiers were still there, she'd be beating the hell out of them. I mean, we saw in that in was it Warlock ten? No, uh, nine. No, no, ten. Her, it was her. I mean, the three of them were killing. You know, obviously she was killing her fair more than her fair share. So it's not like she is a little wallflower, but she's was she was bred for physical abilities, not for this cosmic stuff. Right. So since all those guys are gone, she is not going to survive that. You know that mega Thanos battle, and the only reason Pip isn't running with her is because he was smart and was like, "Look, I got to run away somewhere. I'm going to hide with Adam." Right, so if Pip had not gone for that, he very easily could have been going off with her right now as oh, well. Oh, 100%, because that's the only thing that would make them survive. I mean, yeah, some of the things, I mean, if you just take the buxom young self and pretty green hideout, that's really the only problems. Yeah. Plus, let's let's be honest, she's not buxom. You know what I mean? What you would call buxom. She's not, you know, drawn that way or built well, that way. Well, she is for the 70s. I mean... Oh, maybe she's, you're she's right. pretty good sized, especially for 70s art. And honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of boob cupping in uniforms at this time. Yeah, um, I guess you're you're right on that. Okay, you're right on that part. Never mind. If you think about it in comics, most comics of the last 30 years, um, breasts have been unnaturally large. The smaller breasted characters are actually pretty good sized. In the chest, for compared to reality, so she's she's you know she's definitely going on there. Okay, I do like how we get to his uh, to Warlock's plan. He's going to burn out the path of his life that leads to the Magus. There are six other options he could take. One of them is covered in darkness. So before the in betweener, 
can get to him before the five minutes are up, he's going to use the soul gem to first purge and cleanse that life path and then destroy it. Yeah. Oh, and on the page before that, the uh, next last panel, we actually can see the path he's going to go to afterwards. You can see the one that cuts off quickly. Oh. Because that's his plan. He's, like you said, he is purifying the path of the Magus, destroying it so that doesn't happen. And then he's going to jump, find his quickest, his shortest life path and make sure that he's gone, he's dead and cannot become the Magus. You know, he's like double checking his work. He's, you know, Magus is gone and now I'm making sure that I can't become the Magus still again. But yeah, there's that short path. So, and we have that nice thing as he's purifying it, as the Magus is actually starting to get ahead, starting to win against Thanos. Right. And then all of a sudden, the Magus turns into Marty McFly's brother, or the picture yeah. of Marty McFly's brother from Back to the Future. I think I skipped the page. There, I did. He starts fading away. The Inbetweener mechanically steps forward to do what he has been created to do, which is I don't supposed to like zap. Warlock with some sort of radiation or something. I forget exactly what. Yeah, he's going to zap Warlock away to where he goes completely insane. Yeah, take away to his realm. Um, But instead, Warlock runs along the shortest of his possible life paths. And the Magus' path has been destroyed. Now a new life must be chosen before the Inbetweener can reach and thwart all Adam had accomplished. Interesting. So... He's killing himself, but in so doing, he's creating a new path for himself to take. Is that what it's saying? He's got to he's got to choose. There's the six paths. At that point, we saw there's seven paths his life could take at that moment. Mm-hmm. The most, the biggest one was becoming the Magus. So he just so he destroyed that one, and now he had still the six left, and then he just went to whichever one of the six was the shortest. So I guess what I'm asking, I guess what I'm trying to explore is. How do we get from this page to the next page? Because that was the the that was the shortest that was the uh, possibility that had that was of his life ending in the shortest time. And by going into that one, he made that one become the truth. So he dies. Yeah. With the, at this other like on the next page, we're at this other world at some point in the future. Yeah. So I didn't really follow how we got two Adam Warlocks. Who was the first one who'd been alive for two years or however many long it's been? And who's the one who's coming and showing up here? Yeah, the one that's coming and showing up is the one that was in Kismet. And the one laying down is the one that lived that life the long way around. Okay, so in Kismet, the the blue bridge that he's walking on is a symbolic representation of a life path. So there actually was exactly. a version of Adam Warlock in reality that lived that life path somehow. Yeah. And now yeah. by Kismet, by jumping onto the end of that path, he's finding that Warlock when he dies and taking his place? No, he's just making sure he dies. Warlord Worlds, a fan podcast devoted to the comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, Star Slayer, and Shaman's Tears. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. 
please join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Special episodes feature interviews with Mike Grell himself. And special segments feature great guests discussing the Legion of Superheroes. Listen at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit warlordworlds.com. Warlord Worlds is part of the Rad Adventures Network at radadventuresnetwork.com. So, when you're on the kismet path, it's like anything else in life. You know, at any point, you always have choices. And depending on which choice, that depends on which way your life goes. He got rid of the magus path. So now, at that point in time, he still had six other possibilities. And they all had various lengths, depending on what happened, of, you know, eventually when he would die. So, his life could have went in any of those directions. He chose to go to the one that's the shortest, because that means he would, because he didn't have much time. He had to get to the end before the in-betweener got to him. So, by doing that, he picked that this is the path my life will take now. Because he's made that choice. And he mm-hmm. jumps basically ahead in time to where he is. And he's using the soul gem to suck his soul in there. So not only – because remember what they said. It wasn't your body. It was your soul becoming the magus. That was the problem. So he got rid of the magus, and now he's trapped his own soul in the soul gem. So he is basically doubly making sure he cannot become the magus. Okay. Now, that, that accent, that, that, did I say that in a way that made sense at all? I I'm think so. I, so think, I, think, I think what needs to go along with it, and tell me if, if, if this is right. At the point of his death, at some which is down the road, the future somewhere in this wreckage, this like Nightmare on Elm Street Four junkyard. Once he <laughs> kills himself at that spot or takes the soul from himself, this entire timeline, this brief timeline of his death, becomes moot, and we're back in the present day in a world where the Magus never existed. Um, mostly. He basically not although the thing of the future where he where he well he doesn't kill himself he just comes to a point where he's about to die and takes his soul. Well, yeah, technically, take, so I guess technically he does kill himself. Kill, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was about to die anyway. But he basically confirmed that this will now be the life path he's going to be on, as opposed to like let's say with all other things about the future where they say you know the future like you would have said an empire. Always in motion is the future. Because it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet, so it always could. He is now confirmed this 100% will be the way his path, how his life ends. And you said an episode or two ago that this is actually the same death that happens in the annuals. Yes. Jim Starlin recreates this scene in Avengers Annual 7. Okay, so, okay. Because the other question in my mind was, how are we doubled? How... Where did the Adam Warlock who lived this life come from if Adam Warlock was in Kismet? Okay, so he has time-traveled to the future to the point Bingo. where he's going to die. And then he goes back to the present day to live that life exactly. in a and world ch- where he never becomes the Magus. Yeah, and by choosing that path, he has now confirmed that unlike, let's say, other stories like Days of Future Past with X-Men where it's still always possible to happen but not maybe not. He has confirmed that this is how my life will go. 100%. There's no change. Wow. I like that. Or maybe I just really like the feeling of it becoming clear. I don't know. But that's 
that's really cool. That's no longer a muddy, un- hard to understand ending. That actually makes sense, and I like it. Okay, cool. And knowing, of course, they would have done it at the time, but knowing as we do now, no. that it actually comes back to this moment later is very, very refreshing. Yeah. Well, I'm always assuming that because I mean, as we said in a few episodes ago, Starlin, as of issue 15, leaves Marvel. Mm-hmm. That's why the series gets canceled. It's not so much it got canceled because of sales, as far as I know. I mean, I, maybe sales were, would have canceled soon enough anyway. But he left. He had issues and left and went to DC and other things. I'm assuming he would have done this in the Warlock series instead. So no matter what, I'm assuming Starlin planned on getting here. Yeah. Started and plan on getting here, and he does get the chance to get here with those two annuals, and um, and I really like that. I'm pretty excited. In the meantime, though, we have one little epilogue page with the troll. He runs across the magistrate. Yep. Well, first we have the page of Thanos and Gamora. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I skipped a page of Thanos and Gamora. You're right. Where Gamora's like, all right, you you won. Awesome. And as Thanos confirms for everybody that, you know, except for the four of them, Adam, Pip, Gamora, and Thanos, because they were there at the center of it, nobody else knows. So this was on everything, you know, the whole time changed. My question is now, are all those guys that Adam sucked the souls out of Black Knights, like, how does that work? You know, did he still fight Idolikas? Because Idolikas wasn't sent by the Universal Church of Truth. Well, yes, because they're still in the Soul Gem. In 1990. Yeah, but that's my question. Is like, so, so how like, does what happen? happens? To the, yeah, like what happens to the Autolycus at this timeline? Are there two souls of Autolycus, the one of this timeline and the one that didn't, or did the Autolycus at this timeline all of a sudden just like keeps grocery shopping and all of a sudden one day he passes out in produce? I would suggest, I would posit that since this is an Infinity Gem and its sister is the Time Gem, and so it has powers outside <laughs> of continuity that he has the soul of that person from that timeline that is not necessarily the person of this timeline somewhere that that mad ball guy who is the judge Krylor, is still walking around okay but the Krylor from this other timeline his soul is in the soul gem that would make sense but and as we see, Thanos is all happy. Thanos won. I mean, basically, Thanos is the one who won. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, uh, Adam's the one. You know, Adam's a lot easier to deal with, and now I can do my. Nothing can halt my ultimate plan for total stellar, stellar genocide. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what he's trying to do in those annuals, by the way. When we get yeah, to this them. is yeah, this is the seed for the next big. You know, for a future plotline. So theoretically, Starlin would have buddied around with Warlock and done a few things and had, a, had some adventures and then come back to this like you do in comics. You come back to your plots you set up. And I think in 15, he's actually started to go that direction because 15, we come back to Thanos and Gamora briefly. Yeah, we do. Because these are only other appearances in the 70s. It's here and that Avengers annual. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And I do love that last panel of the two of them walking away in that wreckage. The... Come, Gamora. We've much to do. And at this point, she's still on board with working for Thanos. But next time we see her, she's going to have begin her departure. Yeah. Well, because she she knows enough about him, but she doesn't know all that about him. I mean, that's why you've noticed he's thinking all this about stellar genocide, not saying it. 
Right. And I think he said somewhere that if she had known. But jumping ahead a bit, that's why in Warlock 15, she's going off to, he's like, Warlock might be useful to us again. Go keep an eye on him. Make sure he just stays out of trouble. You know, keep him alive. And he's he's thinking there, it's like, yeah, if she knew all my true plans, she would be a problem too. So let's just get rid of her. And then... We get that page where you're saying about Adam and Pip back on uh, Homeworld. Mm-hmm. The symbol of the Universal Church of Truth instead of an onk is just a fancy loop on a, on a on a on a plane, and they see the magistrate. And impossible, not her. And they go have a drink. Yeah, and I thought I remember somewhere reading that, or maybe it was in my head that somewhere reading that the magistrate was just basically a streetwalker, like a hooker, but. There's nothing in here to indicate she's a hooker. She's, I mean, she's walking in the street, but that's it. There's nothing to imply that. So, no, I don't know that comes that from her origin story. From. They imply oh. her origin story. That's what she was doing. That's it. So it's conceivable that that's what she's doing here, but it doesn't have to be. She just looks like a person, woman, you know, walking in the street. She's just nice, actually. Well, this was, um, this is pretty great. I remember never really completely understanding how all that worked out. And now I do. And I'm a happy fan. Um, oh, good. Yeah, all the notes that I wanted to cover, I've covered. So do you have any other thoughts on this? I mean, this is this has kind of been, honestly, this point right here has kind of been what I've been working towards ever since Marvel premiere number one. I know we still have like a few more issues of this and then the annuals and then there'll be more stuff after that to talk about with more, more warlock and everything. And it's great. But like, I feel like I have reached the end of the primary Adam Warlock story. Oh yeah. No, this is the main stuff. I mean, if more issues have been done, maybe you could say differently, but yeah, I mean, technically while I still, it was still enjoyable, you could kind of almost skip 12 to 15. And jump mm-hmm. right to the annuals. Because nothing as much happens in 12 to 15. He has like another adventure and then hangs around for a little bit and then it's o- it's over. And then once the annuals are done, you're basically done until uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Like the, was it Silver Surfer 34? Where Starlin takes over writing and brings them all, you know, starts it all up again. Starts it all up again. Thanos but, yeah. and all that fun stuff. You know, this is the main warlock story, even more so than the death. I think this is the main warlock story. One strange tales, one seventy eight to one eighty one, and nine, warlock nine to eleven. Mm-hmm. This is the warlock thing. So now that we've kind of reached the end. What are your thoughts? Um, again, I I like this story. I mean, do enjoy this crazy cosmic, trippy, you know. Um, time travely wibbly wobbly stuff mm-hmm. it's a way of looking at life i mean forget the allegory that he started with you know it's life is scoring with him and he's basically just picking the best way he can deal with life now granted he has a more interesting way of doing it than we do right but well, i mean he again all, he has also more interesting skin tones than we have yeah and jewelry you know or accessories i guess you'd say and hair definitely hair definitely hair. His hair is very swoopy yeah. But I mean, it's the same way from life. You know, we all, at any point, we're all looking at all these, you know, options our life can go with, and some are better than others, and some could be really horrible. 
or just be angry in the car if someone cut you off, you know, almost, you know, get you in an accident, you know, and tell me for a second, and most people don't get into that urge real quick to, like, you know, that thought of, what if I just rammed this guy? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, and I, lo- I like the Megas, too. Plus, I love his purple, I love his purpleness and the, the awesome afro. The idea of having an evil double, I mean, there's more to it than that, that I, that I was able to get out of Infinity War whenever I read it as a kid, but... I did really like that there's this character as this like evil future self and how the Magus comes back. I, I really have no memory of whatsoever. So I'll be curious to read that week when I get there, my own reading and we get there on the show. Um, but it's just, yeah. Cause the Magus is even a double. Like you said, he's the future. He's, he's the teenage version of you. Adam's the teenage you looking at the future going like, what did he do? Yeah. But you know, not realizing- it's, 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 it's a, it's a narrative gimmick to create an evil double. Mm. Um, very true. So I, I always, I always found that appealing. And then whenever I actually got to read these issues and just found how, I mean, this is some solid science fiction storytelling here. This is not just comics. This is like real science fiction literature. I really think this story has a lot of depth and a lot of quality ideas going on. Not to mention the fact that it's, it's several different commentaries. You know, Starlin throws in the Thousand Clowns issue to talk about, you know, working for comics. There's various stuff about good and evil. There's all the stuff about religion and the Jesus Christ metaphor. And they're not even mm-hmm. commenting on the Jesus Christ. Well, Roy Thomas's storyline was not really commenting on the Jesus Christ metaphor so much as using it for a story. I do think that turning Adam Warlock into the Magus and making that whole thing happen was a commentary on Christianity. I think it was definitely saying some things <laughs> that that oh, just a yeah. metaphor wouldn't say. Yeah, basically it was like this is how Jesus would view the church. Right. If he all of a sudden was thirty two years old and all of a sudden brought into the future, he's like, What the hell did you people do? Yes. So yeah. Um some of the metaphors are multi-usual. I mean, yeah, the metaphor for the clowns is, of course, about Marvel specifically. But honestly, who else hasn't had it, at least even if it's not with the one you have now, hasn't had a job where you basically could relate that to it? Right. Especially in creative work. I imagine the commercial art business is really, really hard on creative minds. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Because there you're even more so... Here, at least, you still can be somewhat creative as long as it's commercial enough. But, I mean, if you're basically doing stuff for a literal commercial. <laughs> and Jim no Sarin ends the issue on a next with a big old question mark. It's like, next, who the hell knows? Yeah. And it's well, going to be after a this adventure. Yep. It's like, it's after this, who knows? <laughs> next, they have beer. It's like, I didn't come on to this series to write random adventures in the comics, but that's what I've got to do now. I've done my movie, my pilot, my first season. I've got to figure out what to do next. i got to create the sequel. Do we think this will make a good movie? Um, would it make a good film or would it make a good, like... Like like a mini series, like we live in a day now with you know the thirteen hour film on Netflix or the six hour film or the ten hour, however many episodes they want to do, they can do any length of movie they want to. Yes, with an episodic point of drama every forty five to fifty five minutes, 
and that's your that's your your series. So would this make a good series? Yes. I don't know if you could fit it all into a two hour film, but at the same time, I don't think you'd have to sacrifice a lot to fit into a two hour film either. It would be interesting if, let's say, depending on who they can keep for it, and since it looks like they are bringing in Adam Warlock, if maybe that was a way to continue that cosmic Marvel story without having like Guardians 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Mm-hmm. Because you have an Adam Warlock story, you could still if if you have uh, Zoe Saldana still in, you can have Adam and Gamora. So you kind of have her, you know, her continuing on from there. You know, whenever you're saying would it make a good movie or whatever, my brain is immediately thinking, well, if you do the Starlin story, you know, you're going to have this random character coming in that you don't know before. It completely escaped my mind for a moment that, that we actually have plans to bring Adam Warlock into the Marvel universe. They've already, you know introduce the germ of the idea. So yeah, having Adam Warlock in a third Guardians of the Galaxy film and then having an Adam Warlock film that is basically an adaptation of the Starlin stuff. Yes, I am in that theater. I, I mean, in fact, because I mean, if they're, if that's the case, they would not have to introduce Adam. He's already introduced. Everyone knows, would know Gamora and hell, if they wanted to make it easy, use rocket instead of Pip. You're right because we've said the rock is very, very much Pip the Troll. Reuse Rocket. I mean, heck, you can you can even find something for Groot to do. Yeah. Thanos, they're going to bring in depending on what Thanos's fate is at the end of Infinity War. Movies have a tendency to be kind of final about these things. That's um, true. But yeah, and have have the same guy. Playing Warlock and the Magus. Of course. You have of to course. do it that way. Oh, God, yeah, you have to. You just make them purpley. Right. But unlike Infinity War, I don't want that straight pair with the little mini ponytail. I want the Afro. Because <laughs> the Afro is awesome. It is. Oh, and we get a brief. We get a brief mention of Warlock in the bullpen bulletins. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Where is it? I'm just going to read that one part. Let's see. Oh, it says, and don't forget, even though Strange Tales is now devoted to representing the best of the early Doctor Strange classics, Warlock's still soaring. In fact, he's moved into his own merely magnificent mag, while Jim Starlin, jester of all trades, continues working on a top-secret project, which he plans springing on the bullpen towards the end of the year. We'll let you know the details as soon as we find out. I have no idea that, what that was. Probably the big climactic end with the Avengers and everything. I mean, maybe, but that's like another year or two away because we're at the beginning of 76. You know, we're at the very beginning. So Right, but 12, 13, 14, 15. And then the 15 is building up towards the Thanos story. It's only because he quit that that got delayed. That would have been at the end of the year. So maybe that would have been, I mean, I guess depending on how soon he was planning on doing that, maybe that would have been it. Yeah, I feel like 15 set up the seeds to go into that story. So it could have been done at the end of the year, this year, 1976 is where we are now? Yeah, because this is cover date February 76. Okay. Because there's really, I'm looking at his page on IMDb and there's not really much else he does that would qualify. I guess maybe if he was planning on doing this by, like, issue 20 or something. Mm-hmm. 
Although I don't know, because I mean, the way the warlock, when warlock die, you know, when the future warlock gets killed, you know, he ends, what does he say here? Hold on, let me flip back real quick. Uh, he says, everything I've loved has been destroyed. Well, he says, uh, short time, you fool, it's been an eternity. During that time, everything I've ever cared for or accomplished has fallen into ruin. Everyone I've ever loved now lies dead. My life has been a failure. I welcome its end. And I did feel like the one problem with the end was that it felt like they were doing that a little too quickly because he had to. I thought mm-hmm. I, I always kind of had a feeling that like this would have taken a while longer to get to. But maybe it's that's just me thinking about yeah. it now and looking at future how future comics go and not se- you know just seventies. He might have been doing this by twenty, for all I know. Well, the caption says a year, maybe two years in the future. So it's, you know, the relationship between Marvel time and calendar time, the calendar time could very easily have been what he had in mind whenever he said that. Well, that's true. I mean, it's the 70s. I mean, how often does did they say in the 70s issues, you know, 1976? Right. So, if I ever get to interview Starlin, it's definitely something I'd ask him. You should ask Jim Starlin for an interview. I, I'm thinking about. I gotta have to do that one of the. I'm, I'm definitely getting there. We're Did you see that, that link I, I tagged you in about him leaving Marvel again? Um, what and when? Because I'm trying to remember. Was it today? It was earlier this week. Oh, then I think I did. So he he handed in the scripts for his current trilogy of Infinity Stories, and he walked away again. Yeah. Sadly. Which you know means that he's not writing for Marvel. You can you can interview him because he's he's busy. he's not busy. He's just sitting at home drinking tea. Well, he's writing his books, which I need to buy. Yes, he has his our hardcore station, which was a DC prop. Was it, it also has a DC comic? Okay. It was one of those things. It was like Claremont Sovereign Seven, where they made a DC book and it was in DC continuity, but he owned it, so he could do whatever he wants still. Gotcha. All right, so now we're up to the Friends and Enemies segment of the show. So in case you your first time listening, what we do in the Friends and Enemies segment is we look at the cover date of this issue we covered, which was February 1976, and we see where all the other series that we've covered on the show so far are up to in February of 1976. And now John was a little busy this time, so I wrangled in a guest help for this. And so we have Paul from GeekPod on. Hello, Paul. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, quick cameo appearance. Ta-da! All right. So we're going to start off with The Avengers, number 144, Claws, by Steve Englehart, George Perez, and Mike Esposito. The Avengers, in company of Patsy Walker, press deeper into the brand corporation base in pursuit of answers. When they happen across the discarded costume of the cat, Patsy seizes her chance to become a superheroine. (laughs) Superheroine. Patsy gets some drugs. (laughs) Patsy seizes her chance to become a superheroine in her own right. So this is when she becomes the cat. Or Hellcat. Hellcat. Yes, the Hellcat cometh. It's when she goes from being just a, uh, like, Archie-type star. Right. See? And that's all it takes is a costume. Yeah. And claws, I guess. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of funny, I guess, if you thought about it back then. It's like, you know, also putting Veronica in the Justice League. 
I mean, I, I, I'm seeing. I mean, she would be the one to put into the group. She was the one with the bad attitude, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that makes total sense. What doesn't make sense is if you're the Hellcat, why are you wearing a bright canary yellow costume? That was the cat's costume. Okay. Who became Tigra? Yes. See that one? I know. I understood that reference. I wonder how much of the costume we're going to see in Jessica Jones. See, I haven't made it to season two of that yet, so... Oh, never mind. Yeah. I mean, you kind of figured that's where they're going with it. And I think they will MCU up the costume. I, I, I They're going to put a total spin on that. But I want to see something. Definitely. There needs to be some kind of a costume. And I am very entertained by the fact that it's my, one of my favorite versions of Iron Man on this cover. The one with the nose. Yes. Which made no sense to me. I mean, okay. it has a spell without it. Probably bad inside that armor. I'm just just saying. Uh, depending on how long he's in there. Right, and I mean, depends on where you are in his his timeline with um, you know, the whole drinky poo thing. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, I gotta say, this is one of my favorite uh, groupings of the Avengers when they had the Beast on there. Yeah, I like the Beast and the Avengers. Although, what is going on with that face there on the Beast? Um, he looks angry. He looks constipated. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a pretty dynamic cover. I'm still trying to figure out why the flying guy's lowest down out of all of them. On both sides, actually. Yeah. Yeah, Captain Beast and Hellcat can't fly when they're out there. But the guy... <laughs> that was a good team, though. Yes. And I like when they have like a good... I like when the Avengers do that. I think that's one time they work best, when they have like a team of... The big ones, but one or two of the minor characters. The characters actually get a chance to shine. That that makes it best. Well, because I think that's how it works best. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. Because you have the big characters. You got Cap, Iron Man, Thor. And so those are the ones that everyone's like, ooh, cool. But you get to do more stuff because they don't have their own books with Hawkeye and Hellcat. Right. And Vision, obviously. Yes. Who, oddly enough, kind of blends in with the background there. Yeah, because it's kind of all greenish anyway. Yeah. Poor pale of choice. Hmm. Maybe we should want a different color there. Maybe a no, not red, blue. No, beast would have. <laughs> you don't have any good option unless you go with a stark white background or black. Yeah. Now you get your fingerprints all over it. Yes. Oh my god, I had so many comics in my collection like that. I'm thinking of like, was it Wizard Days have the back black cover on the back? Yes. Well, for a while until you had all of your fingerprints on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, love that classic. Uh, Avengers logo. Yeah. With the vision standing there, like the corner box. Ah, so good. And actually, I think they, I'll put a link in the show notes, but I believe they covered this issue on back to the bins on their Avengers spotlight issues. So as long as they did, there'll be a link in the show notes. Daredevil number one thirty. Look out DD. Here comes the death man by Marv Wolfman, Bob Brown and Klaus Jansen. Matt opens his storefront legal clinic. It's Voodoo Central in Central Park, and DD has to stop a human sacrifice. I wonder sometimes in the seventies if, like, when people got Daredevil to work on it, they were just like, "All right, whatever." <laughs> what do we need for a title? Um, look out! Here comes the death. Ma- yeah, that's the title. I mean, that's really. I was look. I even typed it out originally, and I'm still looking at that when you were reading. Go- going, really? That's the title of the issue. <laughs> That's the tell of the story. Look out, Dee Dee. Here comes the death man. 
Right. I mean, the the splash on the cover is an even better title. I mean, why wouldn't you go with that? And From the Darkness, Death. Yeah. Or even just From the Darkness. Yes. See, that sounds like more of a, uh, a wow, Frank Miller was where I was trying to go with that. Oh, uh, yeah. That sounds, that sounds like a more of a Frank Miller title. True. The cover's pretty cool. That is a really cool cover. I, I'm assuming with the with the write-up, that's supposed to be like a voodoo doll of Daredevil? Yeah, that's what it kind of looks like. It looks like a skeleton holding a voodoo doll of Daredevil. Because the ske- the, there's like a rope around the neck of the voodoo doll, and you see the real Daredevil like clutching at his neck. Yes, he, he's doing the, the, the international like mime for I'm choking from the looks of it. Yes. Perfect. Now, that voodoo doll, is he wearing the, the puffy shirt from... From Seinfeld? It looks look, like look it. At the, yeah, that sleeve. It doesn't look like it fits him very well. <laughs> I mean, you'd think if you're making a voodoo doll, it would look fine, but it looks like, you know, a little kid wearing Daredevil's costume. It's all like yes. loose hang, hanging off of him. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was made, you know, for a regular person, and that's when one of the big skeleton guys. But that looks like a regular face on it, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. It does. Weird. But it's a cool-looking cover. Totally. And see, they went with the black background, like I said. See? Fingerprint central. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but still, it's funny. Like, I keep seeing these Daredevil issues from this time period, and it's like, you know, at least the description's like, really? But then you look at the names of like, the people on it. Yeah. I expect better. Like I said, I think Daredevil, I think it had a reputation at that point. People were just like, all right, whatever. I got a weekend free. <laughs> right. I'll write something. Fine. <laughs> I'll do Daredevil. When do I get to do real stuff, though? <laughs> right. When does that Avengers slot open up? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Has Inglehart pissed you guys off enough yet? Is he, is he kicked off the book yet? <laughs> nah, you guys, I think we got like another year or so. All right. Fine. I'll do a run on Daredevil. Next up, we got Fantastic Four number 167. Titans 2 by Roy Thomas, George Perez, and Joe Sinnott. The Fantastic Three try and save Thing from an unknown force affecting his mind. The result will create a significant change for the group. So they kind of bury the lead there, not saying that the Hulk's involved. Right. I, I was a little shocked when the, I got to the cover and, and there's the, the big green guy right in the middle. It, it's been a while since I wrote this up, so when I opened up the cover, I was like, oh, the Hulk's in this one. Oh, that's the Titans too. Because there's a lot of numbers here. Titans 2, Fantastic 3. <laughs> They're throwing all the math at you. I know. It's like, oh, I was promised no math. <laughs> so uh, what are they fighting on? I, I see a lot of faces in there. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the heck that is. I, I don't know what that is in New York. That almost looks like the St. Louis Arch. Yeah. But we're condensed. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Not sure. That's just but the, uh, the one guy in the middle is going to get seriously hurt. He's hanging way too far out of that window. Yeah, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> I don't like heights. No, me either. So I would. Uh, I was at the airport the other day, and I was on like the seventh floor of the parking garage, and I happened to walk over by the uh, the ledge end of it there to like look. You know, I was like looking at the view. I was like, oh, that's nice. And I happened to look down. I was like, okay, I got to go away. Now. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. And I'm done. That's, I can't <laughs> deal with that now. Ah, uh, the Hulk and the thing. Yes. 
who, what, they're fighting together against the other three? That's, yeah. that's what I'm taking away from that? Yeah, hence Titans 2. Interesting. That, that's a different twist on it, though. Usually they're brawling out. Yeah, usually it's them fighting. Yeah. And for a probably better look at this issue, go check out Fantastic Cast episode 220. So, speaking of the Hulk... The Incredible Hulk number 196, The Abomination Proclamation, by Len Wein, Sal Buscema, and Joe Staten. Staten? I think it's Staten. Okay. And Joe Staten. Following the deactivation of a monitoring device inside the Abomination's head, the former Russian spy manages to convince the Hulk to join forces with him to get revenge on the puny humans, much to the dismay of Doc Samson, General Ross, Clay Quartermain, and Betty Talbot. Again, Hulk, wow, Hulk's like teaming up with everybody this this month. He's teamed up with the thing, with the abomination. Dire need of a haircut. In this one, yeah. Yeah. That hair is flowing. <laughs> That's uh what year was this? Sixty eight? No, so this was before the T V show, so it can't even be reminiscent of the Hulk week from that. Yeah, no, this is seventy six, but still before the Hulk show. Huh. That was seventy seven or seventy eight. Yes. Because I don't think it was... from, that was from the last one. My bad. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, the Hulk show is definitely late, later seventies. Yeah. Because I think Wonder Woman didn't start till seventy six, seventy seven. I think Hulk was like a year later. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I like everyone watching on TV. <laughs> yeah. And that poor soldier getting knocked right the hell out up on the top there, huh? <laughs> oh, the one above, yeah, the one on top of the Hulk. <laughs> Where he sees the head and the helmet, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's like, ah! <laughs> what was that noise, that Wilhelm scream? Ah! Yes. <laughs> That's going everywhere right now. <laughs> yeah, bouncing all over the place there. Clay Quarterman, now, wasn't he one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that was, like, always in the Avengers for a while? I don't know about an Avengers, or maybe I mean I maybe I didn't read those. I know he's a Shield agent. Mm-hmm. I know he was in a bun, at least a lot of the earlier Peter David Hulk issues. Okay, then. maybe that's uh, where I know him from. When McFarlane was drawing it, especially. Nice. Before they went into the the Joe Fix It phase. Right, but yeah, he was still Gray Hulk, but before he became Joe Fix It, it was Hulk or Bruce, uh, Quartermain, Rick Jones, maybe somebody else driving, you know, like in a, in uh, driving across the country. Okay. And like an RV or something. Nice. And this is before he became Fix It. But he still is the gray one. So he still is a cranky gray Hulk. So that's where I know him from. You know what? He was when, um, I know where I was thinking in the Avengers, when they were on Hydro Base. He was part of the staff there. Oh, okay. So. So probably not crazy. A little bit later. Yeah. I guess that's why he was in the book Hulk anymore then. Right. (laughs) He moved on to uh, the Avengers. Yeah. He's like, I'm moving up. Rick Jones is like, yeah, yeah, you'll be back. Look what happened to me. Right. <laughs> Same thing. I went from Hulk to the Avengers, and I'm back with the Hulk. Man, did anybody do a better Hulk than Buscema, though? Not many. I mean, Sal Buscema's Hulk is pretty iconic, though. Oh, yeah. That's that's definitely the one I remember from my childhood. Yeah. That's the angry green Hulk I still I think when I think of that Hulk. Totally. Or at least maybe that Hulk he did best. Like other people, I think of sort of like different Hulks, mm-hmm. but for the original, you know, angry green jade giant. Yeah. Sal Buscema. All right. So much on that Ross, though. Yeah, 
And the hair on, uh, what's his name? On Samson? Yeah. It looks like an out-of-control page boy haircut. Yeah, Yeah, it looks like a bad wig. <laughs> like, the actor playing Samson wasn't ready. You know, was doing something else. And he has, like, a really short cropped hair. And, like, just put the wig on him. Right. Here, just green wig. Go. Let's see. What do we have? Well, he can um, shave his head completely. No. Or we got this little this wig from the little Dutch boy commercials. <laughs> put it on. Close enough. Right. It'll do. We can That'll touch do. it up in post. <laughs> That'll do, Samson. That'll do. All right. Next up, we got Iron Fist number three, The City's Not for Burning, by Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Frank Cheramonti. Iron Fist and Misty Knight take a trip to London to find Colleen Wing, but are sidetracked when their plan is attacked by a man calling himself the Ravager. Danny decides to track down the Ravager, leaving Misty feeling betrayed. Okay. You forget that they did Iron Fist. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they do the stuff besides X-Men together. (laughs) Right. No, that's the Ravager? Apparently. Because that totally says either Crimson Dynamo or Box from Alpha Flight to me. Mm, Yeah. It actually kind of also looks like Colossus with a bad mask on. Oh, yeah. Colossus with a Halloween mask. Fooled you, comrade. (laughs) Ha-ha. You won't hurt that little girl, Ravager. Not while Iron Fist is alive to stop you. <laughs> and then, of course, the big bravado. All right, then, hero. You'll just have to die. Is exciting. Yes. But really also- bad aim with the blast, though. Oh, yeah. At least Iron Fist punched him in the right place. Yes. W- why the ballet slippers on, on Iron Fist? I never understood that one. Hmm. I don't, maybe it's better for martial arts. For judo kicks. Yeah. I guess we'll go with it. I'd think barefoot, but okay. Yeah, but you know what happens? You know, he he he. Yeah, he can kick everyone's ass barefoot, but you know, he's been jogging, taking his shoes and socks off, and people, you know, have killed him already. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's cold out. I got boots on. Give me a minute to get these off. <laughs> I'm in New York. I'm in New York. I'm not walking around barefoot. All, maybe that's it. It's like, look, I'm in New York. I'm not going to walk, walk around barefoot all the time. Well, yeah. It's like, I'd be dead of disease. It's like, this is this New York in the 70s. Oh, God, yeah. I'd be dead of disease in five blocks. <laughs> it's like, and I got hepatitis. <laughs> right. Again. But you also forget how many, I mean... How much stuff comes out of this book that's so important now? I mean, we have Iron Fist from here, Misty Knight, Colleen Wing. They all come from the series. Yeah. And now they're big players in Netflix, or they were. Right, for a little while. I think Disney's kind of making some deal to get get their stuff back so they can have that ready for their streaming service next year. Oh, totally. Yeah, you're going to see all, all of that come back. You'll know it's a done deal when as soon as they announce that Daredevil's being... Um, Canceled. Yeah. I think it all depends on what kind of contracts they have, really. Right. Although somebody I know has had a theory that they might leave. It's like, well, maybe they're just going to make a deal like, you know, we'll leave you Daredevil gives the rest for now. Yeah, maybe. But I know Disney likes to keep everything. Oh, yeah. They want all their toys back. Iron Man number 83, The Rage of the Red Ghost by Len Wein, Herb Trimby, and Marie Severin. 
Tony Stark is the hostage of the sinister Red Ghost. Can he find a way to don his Iron Man armor? And even if he does, will he be able to defeat the Ghost's super apes? <laughs> oh my god. I forgot about the Red Ghost's 1970s costume. That's, uh... Wow. He was a pro wrestler back then, huh? I know. <laughs> that is one hell of an impressive belt, though, with the giant studs on it. Yeah. You look at that outfit. I mean, you've seen the Red Ghost before, right? Like in his classic costume? Yes. Like, okay, that looks like what you think of 60s communist stuff. Right. And then there's this. This, this makes you go like, maybe Russia was kind of cool in the 70s. <laughs> right. He's got that big medallion. Yeah, with the knockoff Iron Fist shirt. Yes. Yeah. And the super apes. Yeah, never really understood that. They're, they're like hypnotized to work for him or something, right? Is, yeah, is he's, that... tra- he's trained them, so they are obedient to him. God, that's... Okay, I gotta admit, that's, that would be kind of cool. I would love to have my own army of, of super apes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm torn between... I, I'm i torn because I like that idea, but I also like um, Fantastic Fantastic Cast, so they go, oh, the Red Ghost and his stupid apes. <laughs> They're not very big fans of the Red Ghost. Well, I can't say I am either. I just I like the idea of an army of apes. Yeah, I, I like the superpowered gorillas. And I see Iron Man has his uh his nose and the armor mm-hmm. in this one too. Yep, this is the nose error. Perfect. Gotta love it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I like the apes. I always feel bad for them. Like it's like, oh, someone help the monkeys. <laughs> Get them away from this jerk. Right. God, someone call you know some call animal control or you know <laughs> ASPCA. Right. I mean, I'm sure they would get adopted soon enough. Yeah, no. Oh, some zoo is going to want them. Think about that. How <laughs> well would not only do they have, you know, oh, great new gorillas that were used as supervillains and have powers. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's going to get some asses in seats. Come watch the orangutan turn itself into an accordion and let Weird Al <laughs> play it. <laughs> he would, too. Oh, I'm like, sure. I'll play the monkey. All right. We got Marvel Premiere number 28. There's a Mountain on Sunset Boulevard by Bill Mantlo, Frank Robbins, and Steve Gann. The mightiest monsters of the Marvel Universe stand united. But they, but can even their combined macabre might stand up to the supernatural power of the Starseed? Ooh. This is the Legion of Monsters! Nice. Ghost Rider, Man-Thing, Morbius, and Werewolf by Night. See, this is the kind of book that needs to come back. That would be awesome. I, this is definitely a title I could get down with again. Well, they sort of had this title. They sort of had this book out. I mean, they had a book for a while that had the team of most of the monster characters. Howling Commandos, right? Oh, that, that's the too. last iteration of it. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that one. I was thinking one from a couple years earlier. Frankencastle. Oh, I forgot about that. He had all the monsters with him. See, that is so cool. There's one thing, and me being a Moon Knight guy, has always bothered me, though. <laughs> Jack Russell? Mm-hmm. That, that's always been a problem for me, the, the fact that they named him after a dog. <laughs> I love that. That's a little too on the nose for me. <laughs> he was a comic character in the 60s and 70s. It kind of like, you know, your name, you were born with these things. Right, yes. You, know, you were either born with alliteration or 
an indication of what you're going to be. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, know. even so far as Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze with his exactly. flaming skull. Look at that. Johnny Blaze was going to be the Ghost Rider, you know, or, you know, you might not have it. You might have something happen. You might not, but your name would be Peter Parker mm-hmm. or Reed Richards. Come on. I mean, go, let's go to DC. But like, why else do you think the guy's name, parents called him? Let's say, let's call him Thomas Oscar Morrow, but let's just call him <laughs> T.O. We're not going to call him Thomas or Oscar. <laughs> it's not Tom. He's not Tommy. Yeah. He's T.O. Morrow. So, you know, I missed that era. <laughs> If Jack came along later, he wouldn't be called Jack Russell. But, you know. Right. Now, later on with him, they uh, they gave him, like, the big giant pointy ears, right? I think so. Yeah. This was definitely the more humanistic Wolfman version. Yeah. If he came around now, he might be ever worse. He might be called Lab Doodle. <laughs> Larry Lab Doodle, for short. <laughs> Larry, yeah, Larry Doodle, lab for sure. <laughs> That's better. I like that. <laughs> Thor number two forty four. This is the way the world ends by Len Wein, John Buscema, and Joe Sinnott. The Time Twisters arrive in the fiftieth century when Zarko dispatches his citizens to defend their planet. Thor and the Asgardians are discontented with a cowardly. Approach. I think I missed a plot. I think I missed the space there. Okay, I'm gonna start over. The time twisters arrive in the 50th century, when Zarko dispatches his citizens to defend their planet. Thor and the Asgardians are discontented with a cowardly approach. Make a frontal assault on those who would consume an entire planet. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Okay. If it's one thing I've noticed with these, because most of these are usually like descriptions, I would see like. That were like in the bullpen bulletins or stuff from what I can understand from what I've seen. They seem to try to do Thor speak more or less for the description of Thor. Thor oh. is always the hardest one <laughs> to do. To properly get through. Yeah. Like all these other ones are like, oh, look out, Daredevil. It's a guy with a voodoo. Ooh, Iron, you know, will Iron Fist be able to handle this guy? And then the Thor one's like, behold, <laughs> the majestic wonder Thor and Mjolnir going across like the fjords and other Asgardian words that are hard to say. Yeah, lots of me things and yonders and. Yeah, it's like oh, they're just screwing with us here. Right. That's all the time twisters. I know them. I don't. They were the bad guys, and like one of the few, I believe, uh, unless I'm wrong, in one of the few um, multi-part what if stories. There was like a four or five part part story in What If in the nineties, and they brought back some like the classic story, like some of the other stories they've done before. And I think it involved fighting the Time Twisters. Nice. I must have missed those ones. Yeah, they brought back like Wolverine's Lord of the Vampires, and oh, cool. I don't know if it was good or not because I haven't read it since you know probably like twenty five <laughs> years, but I remember right. like I like the concept at least. I thought that was cool. They're doing like a five part What If story. That's really cool. They just look like giant-headed people. Yeah. Now, is that supposed to be Sif in the background? Maybe. Or is that Jane? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I, I mean, the sword tells me maybe Lady Sif at that point, but the, uh, the very smart pantsuit tells me Jane Foster. I, Thor's a bit of a blind spot. I don't know that. I'm not that good with Thor. <laughs> that makes I two of us. Say, 
I want to say, or at least not before. I mean, before my time of reading it, which would have been like right when uh, Eric Masterson took over. Ah, uh-huh, cool. So that I know. Like from then on, I'm decent, more or less, at least for a while. But mm-hmm. before, I'm a little weak. But I want to say I thought there was a time when Jane and Sif were like doing the same thing, like Thor did with Don Blake. Oh, I got you. So they're switching back and forth. So maybe. Hmm. I'm mostly sure that happened. I'm going to take your word for it. It is time to cover the feedback we've received. And this is the feedback from episode 84, Mephisto vs. the Podcasters, part 3. On Facebook, there's a dog that wants to come in. On Facebook, the post about that episode was shared and liked by Joe Sedano. The Pulped Pixel Podcasts, Pat Gunter, Brendan McVeigh, Ryan Daly, Jesse Starcher, Clinton Robinson, Jason Venable, Jonathan Schaefer Hames, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Michael Lane, Pat Sampson, Bill Bear, Robert Myers, Aaron Head Moss, Gene Hendricks, Guntam Shiorin, Dean Compton, Jeff Pollier, and Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. On Twitter, the post was retweeted and liked by Long Box of Darkness, Jason Snick Venable, Tim Price, Dazzler Street Team, Doc Strange, Chris, John and Maggie, Old Meme Mike, ITG Graham, Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop, Comics in the Golden Age, Slangword Scott. Doyle, what are you doing? My dog apparently is not happy about me recording. Doyle. Must you be a pain? Apparently you so. All right, where were we? Uh, Slangwork Scott, Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, The Bitter Tweets of Sarah Von Century, The Phantom Zone podcast, and Jeffrey Brown. Also have to remember to keep thanking people for following us on our Tumblr page. So thank you to Dennis Harding, Tuesday Daddy, Monster Mashed Potato, Transitory Regularities, and Paul Siebert. Now, like I said last episode, I have several emails and comments on the Podbean site that I haven't responded to because I've been forgetting to check them. But now I am checking them, so everyone will be answered. Promise. Today, we have an email we received from the end of August from Baruch Nahan asking if the email is working. Yes, it is Baruch. Your message has been received. The problem was it wasn't received. It was I didn't read it. But I have now. How's that for an answer slash mea culpa? Now, if you want your name or message right on the show, there are a few ways to interact with us and have that happen. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. Just type in Adam Warlock in the search box on Facebook. It'll pop up. Follow us on Twitter, at AdamThanosPod. Send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. I promise to keep checking it. Download the Podbean app and follow us and comment there. And of course, there's always the old reliable method of leaving a review on iTunes. Whatever you like. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. Before we finish this issue, of course, it wouldn't be a Bronze Age comic without a hostess fruit pie ad. And it wouldn't be a podcast talking about Bronze Age comics if we didn't do hostess fruit pie theater. Now, John wasn't available for this one because he has sense. But I was able to sucker, I mean, uh, trick, I mean, convince my brother to join me. Hi, Joe. Hello. So, that's my brother Joe. You'll recognize him from such episodes as Deadpool vs. Thanos 1 and Deadpool vs. Thanos 2. And three and four. And he will be back soon with when we are doing our Infinity Countdown coverage. Which we just did. Yes. We just started recording that already, so it's coming up. All right, so here we go, everybody. Spider-Man and the Kidnap Keeper. Back just in time to catch the phone. Maybe some clue to Aunt May's whereabouts. You kidnapped my Aunt May? What for? She never hurt anyone. For $50,000, that's what for. Get us the dole, you'll never see your aunt again. The kid is scared stiff. Bet you he's here with the money on the next plane. Imagine anyone paying $50,000 for this old goat. Hey, look, Parker sent Spider-Man. I couldn't raise the ransom, but I got something in this case the kidnappers will love. By the time they find out I've tricked them, AMA will be miles from here. You gentlemen will find something you want in this case. Meanwhile, Aunt May and I will duck out of here. Well, I'll be. He tricked us. The case is full of nothing but hostess Twinkies. I love that golden sponge cake and the delicious creamy filling. But I was really looking forward to some delicious money. And then Spider-Man came along and rescued me. He gave the kidnappers nothing but Twinkies. That means Spider-Man has a great sense of humor as well as having excellent taste. You, you get, get a big delight, delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies. Twinkies. All right. Well, does that wrap us up for this comic? I believe so, because we're there. We're done. We have finished the Magus. Silver Afro is gone for now. I'm a little sad here. And also Gamora is gone for a while. Thankfully, when we get to the future stuff in the 90s, she at least gets a lot more play. Right. It's just going to be Warlock and Pip the Troll for a while. All right. So uh, you, yes, you out there in listener land, should go over to MakeOursMarvel.com 
because John Wilson is a podcasting fiend once again after a year and a half away and just doing guest spots with Al and others in the meantime. So Make Ours Marvel happens every Friday. It is a Silver Age Marvel Comics podcast. We're talking about all of the Silver Age Marvel superhero comics. All of them. In the order they are published. Like fools. So we spend an hour talking about as many comics as we can get through in that hour, which averages about three. And yeah, go listen. Let us know what you think. Read the comics along with us. And we'd love to have you along for the ride. Makeourismarvel.com. Yay! You've already heard the promo several times here, so you should not have been waiting for this engraved invitation. But if you were <laughs> waiting for an engraved invitation, there it is. There it is, right there. Go, go, listen. We're well in a few minutes. We're almost at, we're pretty much at the end here anyway. So as soon as this is over, put them in the podcast queue next. All right. Well, I guess that means I'm out. You can follow me on Twitter. At John Reads Comics, there's no H in John, no H in Reads, no H in Comics. But there is an H in, I don't know, HTTP. So, there's that. There's a link in the show notes. Go click on that, people. (laughs) All right. Thanks for having me once again, Al. This has been a fantastic ride. I'm glad to have been a part of it. And it's sad a little bit that it's over now. But it only means we have to transition to the next big ride. Yeah, well, the next time we're going to have something completely – well, next it's going to be time for something completely different because I believe you're right. I believe that the trollish tale. The trollish tale of triumph and tragedy. Uh, Pip. Okay, so – So we'll see you guys all there. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Oh my god, I can't believe you can't hear this. That thing keeps doing it. It's like connecting and disconnecting. <laughs> I'm sorry, the drive is crazy. It is. And now it's throwing up the USB device not recognized thing. I gotta reboot this computer. I don't think I've done that in like months. <sighs> I'm the worst IT guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> You're the IT guy at work, you come home and your computer looks like a spam thing from like the 1990s. You know, right. things all over. <laughs> Click here for hot girls. Yeah, basically. Oh, God. All right. On one, three, two, one. You get a big, get a de- big delight in every side of hostess those- Twinkies. Okay, let's try that again. That didn't work. No, we'll try it again. One more time. Ready? Yeah. Three, 
two, one. You get a get big, a big delight, delight in every, in every bite, bite of, of Hostess, Hostess Twinkies. Twinkies. Beautiful. <laughs>